talking today about some women through the Bible who learned how to clothe themselves, not just in our outer garments, but to clothe our hearts and our emotions and our character as well. You know, as women, we like to play dress up, even as little girls. I mean, you give us a bag full of clothes and a bunch of high heels, we can have fun all day long, clomping around the house in mama's high heel shoes, or maybe you like to get in dad's boots and pretend you're fixing the car. I don't know. You may have been I was one of those ribbons and bows little girls, except for one year when I was about five years old and I wanted to be a cowgirl. I wanted a gun and a holster for Christmas. And my mother kept telling me, little boys get guns and holsters, you know, little girls get ribbons and bows. I wanted a gun and holster. So I went to Santa Claus and I was like, this is what I want. Shh, don't tell anybody. And my parents were utterly amazed on Christmas morning when under the, cree, under the tree was a gun and holster set. They looked at each other. So thanks, Aunt Dean. I appreciate you sneaking that under the tree for me. Well, we like to get all dressed up in our, our outer garments, but we're going to be talking today about how God wants us to live this wonderful life that he has set before us as women and men of strength and dignity with our lives full of laughter and fearless. There was a survey that was done, there was a study that they were preparing to see how long it takes women to get dressed in the morning. All right, guys, stop laughing. I see you smiling already. Every woman that they surveyed before the study, they said, oh, 20 to 25 minutes. When they finished the study, it took an average of an hour and seven minutes for us to get ready. So we just fool ourselves into thinking it's 20 minutes. And I hope you don't have one of those husbands that sits in the car and blows the horn. Um, a friend of mine, a pastor's wife, she was actually the president of the college we went to in Florida. When her husband packed, passed away, she moved out to California to be with her daughter. And she said, I couldn't figure out why I was late for everything. I had never been a person that was late before. She said, then I realized that you can't put on your makeup and your pantyhose in California traffic and still get there on time. So maybe through those years, husband was driving and she was finishing the job on the way. We like to be clothed, we like to be ready, but there's so much more that we can add to our lives of this wonderful life that God has called us to by choices that we make. And that first choice is by choosing a course of strength. Proverbs 35, 21 says, we are clothed in strength, dignity, laughter, and with a fearless life, a laughter without the fear of the future. So if we choose this wonderful course of life, then we choose a course of strength. Strength is the capacity of an object or substance to withstand great 
force or pressure. We've been watching this week some documentaries on the restoration of Notre Dame Cathedral after the fire and how that those walls, the roof burned, the spire collapsed, the all of the lead that was coating the roof melted, but those walls stood. What they did not know until they got all of the debris moved out was between every set of blocks and bricks in the wall, there was iron staples, if you will, that had been put into place between those well, long before steel rebar, but they had been put there to reinforce those walls so that when pressure came, when calamity came, when stress and pressure came of greatest force, those walls stood. So I want to talk to you about a woman that understood what it meant to stand in times of great pressure and great force. Her name was Deborah. She was a prophet. She was a judge. The scriptures tell us that she sat every day under the palm trees, and they even called it the Palm of Deborah. So maybe in an oasis, a place where people came to her from all around so that she could help them resolve conflicts, establish contracts with each other, or maybe just for words of wisdom. But Deborah was also a prophet of God, and she knew how to listen and wait to see what God would say to many situations. Well, one day as she was doing what she did every day and, and preparing to meet the needs of the people that came to her, God spoke to her heart and told her to call the commander of the army and tell Barak that he was going to give the enemy over into his hands. Well, she did just that. She sent for him and she told him, Barak, God Almighty has said Take your army, take 10,000 men, and I'm going to deliver the army of the enemy into your hands this day. Well, Barak, being a great man of confidence and faith, looked at her and he basically said in Becky version, hey, if you ain't going, I ain't going. He wanted Deborah to go with him. That wasn't what God had told him. God had already said, I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hands. But you see, Barak did not have enough confidence in himself or maybe his relationship with God that he was willing to step out there by himself. But he had great confidence in Deborah and her relationship that God would keep his promise to her. Well, Deborah responded to him by saying, certainly I will go with you, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So I would just like to throw this out there. Anybody tells you that Christianity oppresses women, please take them to Judges chapter 4 and have them read it out loud. God established Deborah and he put her in a place of leadership. He put her in a place of responsibility, but he did that because Deborah learned that strength and joy come from spending time with God. First Chronicles chapter 16 says it like this, splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Deborah had learned whether it was 
beside her bed or if it was under the palm trees in the middle of the community, that she could find a place to spend time with God. And because of that, God would meet her where she was. Strength is also directly impacted by the course we choose. You see, Barak was not disobedient to God. He did what God told him to do, to go out and face the enemy. He fought the battle, but he chose a course to that obedience that was not what God had laid before him. And because of not choosing the right course, the honor went to someone else a simple homemaker who responded in time of crisis. Go back and read the story. It's a great one. We can choose, and I use that word choose because sometimes we feel like we don't have a choice. We're just going through life. Things are just happening to us, and we're reacting. But we have a choice of how we respond. You see, we can choose to earn and to learn. Dignity is the state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect, self-respect, and composure. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word composure, I think of Jacqueline Kennedy on the day of her husband's funeral, standing there before the Capitol as that caisson came by with a flag-draped coffin. She was the picture of composure and strength at that moment. How in the world she did it, I have no idea. What a thing for a young wife and mother to have to go through. But she helped hold this country together in a crisis time by her own composure. You see, respect and honor are earned. Self-respect and composure are learned. So let me introduce you to another young lady who learned how to have self-respect and composure, but she also earned the respect and honor of everyone around her. And her name is Esther. We know her as the Queen of Persia. We know that she helped save an entire race of people because of her response to the crisis. But Esther chapter 2 tells us about a young girl, probably in her mid-teens. She had been an orphan. She had been taken in by an uncle who raised her. And then as the search went out across the country to find a new queen when the original queen had been deposed and exiled... The search went on. Esther must have been a beautiful girl. Every time I see your granddaughter, and her name is Esther, I think about that. She's going to be a beautiful young woman. I pray that she grows to be one that knows how to follow after God's heart. Like, as the Jewish community called her, Hadassah. Hadassah learned to watch and listen as her uncle Mordecai sat at the city gates every day. And like Deborah, he helped to resolve conflicts, establish con- uh, contracts. He met with people at the city that needed to maybe have some wisdom or some insight. He was a man that was respected and honored. And when the time came and Esther was taken into the king's palace, she looked for the person who understood the king. Hey, guy, who was the 
um, responsible for all the women that had been brought to the king's court. He knew the king inside out and upside down. He knew what he liked. He knew what he disliked. He knew what brought him pleasure. He knew what brought him disgust. He knew what he would respond kindly to. And Esther watched. And when it came her turn to go before the king, she said to Haggai, you tell me how to prepare. You tell me what I need to take with me. And Esther chapter 2, 15 says, when the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. You see, she could have made her own choice, but she knew if she was going to grow, if she was going to learn, if she was going to be a person of honor and one that the king would respond to, then she needed to watch and learn. And out of that, she earned the respect and the honor. And they tell us she was probably only 20 years old when she responded to the cry of her people and saved them from annihilation. Esther learned what it meant to respond in composure and dignity and strength. But what else can we choose? We can choose strength. We can choose dignity. We can choose to earn and learn respect and honor. But we can also choose to respond with a joyful heart a heart filled with laughter. I don't know what you makes you laugh, but right now it's my grandchildren. We have this this uh, app on our computer that they can get on there and see us and we can see them and we can hear the computer every once in a while when we're not in the room. We hear a little voice coming over the sound system that says, Papa, 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 you want to play Minecraft? Well, we know the grandkids are on. They never call for grandma unless it's time to eat. But they want Papa to get on there and play games with them. And what a joy, our little one-year-old grandson, he's in that adorable one-year-old stage right now. And we get to enjoy all the good stuff and all the laughter without any of the mess. So we can enjoy our grandkids and they bring laughter to our heart. You see, laughter is the action or the sound of laughing. It's an inner quality, a mood, a disposition. One lady who laughter was a part of her life, but not always in a positive way. Because you see, there's two kinds of laughter. And Sarah exhibited the first kind of laughter when messengers came to, from God, came to talk to her husband. And they brought a message saying, your wife is going to have a child. Well, Sarah was listening through the tent door, and they tell us Sarah was probably about 90 years old, and Sarah laughed with sarcasm, the kind of laughter that's followed by that, yeah, right, kind of attitude. I mean, don't laugh. You're 90 years old, and God says you're going to have a child. Sarah laughed that sarcastic, mocking kind of laugh. And this is what she said in Genesis 18, 12. Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pressure? She was saying to God, have you looked at us? 
I am old. I am totally worn out. And that guy out there, he's not in much better shape than I am. And now you're going to give us a baby? Will I really have this pleasure in my old age? I would laugh too. But we see Sarah later. As this child is born, she again laughs, but not the first laughter of sarcasm. She laughs the second laughter of joy, of a fulfilled promise. And she said, notice the first time she said in herself, this time she says, God has given me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. You see, pure laughter is contagious. That first laughter of sarcasm, we want to walk away and get away from it. The second laughter, that pure laughter that comes out of a joyful heart is contagious and makes us want to share in someone else's joy. Zechariah verse 7, chapter 10 says, their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. You see, we are being watched, whether it's by our children or our co-workers or people in our community or the next door neighbor. They know how we're supposed to respond in good times. They want to see how we respond when things get tough. They want to see if we're going to be able to stand like the walls of Notre Dame when diversity and panic and all of those things want to overtake us, they are watching to see if our hearts are pure hearts of joy. The other thing that the scripture tells us in Proverbs 31 is that our hearts can face tomorrow without fear. We can choose to live a fearless life. Anxiety is a word that we all know. I mean, there's just a page of anxiety disorders and panic attacks and all of those things that our society, we know what anxiety is, but this is how it's defined. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or uneasiness, typically about imminent events or something with an uncertain outcome. Anxiety is often exhibited in the things that we have no control over anyway. But the scripture is very clear when it says in Philippians that we are supposed to be anxious for nothing. We are supposed to, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God. It didn't say, don't be anxious unless it's this, this, or this. Don't be fearful unless, oh, well, okay, you can be fearful for those things. But no, it says be anxious in nothing. In every situation that comes about, don't be fearful. Fear and anxiety binds us up like cords or chains being bound around us. But the scripture gives us keys to unlock that anxiety. And it's right here in the same verse that we quote so often, be anxious for nothing. But the keys to responding to anxiety are right here in the second part of the verse. When it says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Did you know that we can pray anxious prayers? 
we kneel down and instead of really responding to God, we give him our anxiety list. Oh God, do you know? And this is happening and I can't control it and I'm trying and this is no good and I've done this and I've done that and God, it's not working and you need to act, take some action here. We respond in a prayer of anxiety rather than a prayer of expectation. Prayer. What does that look like? Boy, David faced some anxious moments, didn't he? I mean, he was tried to be overcome by his own son, tried to take his kingdom. The man that should have been a mentor in his life and his best friend's father was trying to kill him. David said, Lord, my enemies rise up all around me. And Lord, they sit at the city gates and they, they contemplate how they're going to bring me down. And Lord, here I am out in the middle of nowhere by myself, except I am in your presence. And I have learned as a shepherd in the Filled with the sheep. I have learned at my father's feet that you are a faithful God and that I can respond to you. See, he turns his prayer instead of anxiety to a prayer of petition and praise. God, you know exactly where I am. You know exactly what I am dealing with. And Father, I am going to praise you. I'm going to pray what the scripture says about you, that you're a good father, that you are a loving heavenly father, and that you respond to your children with goodness. I'm going to respond with you to you with praise. I'm going to lift my heart and exalt you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I am going to pray out of an honest faith. There were two women that Paul brought honor to when he's writing to a young man named Timothy. And he says to him, and I love the way the message put it, 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 7 says, that precious memory triggered another, your honest faith. And what a rich faith it is, handed down to you by your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice, and now to you. And the special gift of ministry that you received when I laid hands on you and prayed, keep that ablaze. God doesn't want us to be shy with his gifts, but bold and loving and sensible. God gave us people in our lives like Eunice and Lois that they are strong in their faith. We would call these the you would call these the prayer warriors. We would call these the, the ladies that they knew God's word and they knew how to get a hold of God. And a young boy named Timothy watched them and learned from them and saw their faith in action from their whole from his whole life. What can we hand our children? We can hand them all kinds of material things, but we can also hand down to them the example of faith so that they learn how to experience pure faith in their life. How will I respond? I won't hold back the gifts that God has given me. I will respond in strength and dignity. I'll learn how to have the composure that God and the self-respect that God intended for me. And I will learn to laugh even when it seems like the situation is utterly impossible. And I will choose not to let anxiety rule my life, but Lord, to fill my life with your words, your promise, and praise to you.
So I'm going to invite you right now to stand with me. We're going to do something a little bit different. We always have our growth work at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon. So grab your phone. If you're in the app, scroll down to the end to where it says growth work. If you've got that sheet of paper, the bulletin that you came in with today, it's on the bottom. We're going to pray this over our lives. And we're going to pray exactly what these scriptures have taught us and what these women have illustrated to us. So, Father God... I recognize today that I can choose. And Lord, I choose you. Lord, I choose to be a, pa a passionate, committed follower of you. And today I give my life to you. And Lord, I respond to you from a heart of passion that longs to know you better. Father, I strive to earn and to learn honor respect, self-control, and composure. And Father, I will learn to have a joyful heart regardless of what the circumstances are around me or how impossible the situation seems. Lord, I will embrace the power in prayer and petition and praise. And Lord, I will cherish that privilege that you have given to me to be an example of pure faith in the lives of the children that you have placed around me, whether it's in the neighborhood or my own children or grandchildren or maybe the children in this church that I work with. Father, I, I appreciate and I hold dear that privilege of being to, able to be an example of faith in their lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.